Um, I wanted to, to just start today with prayer, of course. And uh, would you just bow your heads and hearts with me? Father, again, just uh, calm this man's heart down. And uh, Lord, just give me that peace to know that I'm moving in the right direction. We pray for that anointing, Lord, on your word today. That, uh, Lord, it would just break barriers down today. There are so many in this room, I know this, Lord, that have needs that are hurting, that need healing in one way, shape, or form. Lord, there are folks watching online who need to know you. They need to understand what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. Lord, take this message today and use it to your glory. And when it's all said and done, may you be well pleased. May you be blessed. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, welcome to the Hope. Uh, it's great to have all of you here. And uh, as Brother Bill said, it's Thanksgiving this week. Woohoo! Are you ready? How many, how many do something like a turkey or a ham or a chicken or the rest of you are just, eh, I don't do anything. McDonald's, Burger King. <laughs> well, since it's Thanksgiving, uh, I wanted to just to share just a little bit about the Pilgrim's Journey to America. I don't know how much you, you know about it. I don't even know if we teach this anymore in school. Um, I'm not sure if it's seen as a good thing or not, but I, as I see it, it's a good thing. But the Pilgrims coming to America they're probably the epitome of what it would mean. Okay, there we go. For no, ah, it's, it's, it's moving really slow. We're going to fix this this week. There are no shortcuts, right? That's what this whole message is about. This is part two. I, I began it last week. And what I want you to, to understand today is that as a believer, a disciple for Jesus, there are no easy ways to heaven. Everybody has to go through the process. Everybody. And, and I've, I've heard people preach, and, and I don't think it's a true gospel. I've heard people preach, well, if you've got enough faith, you won't ever have to go through anything. Hogwash. Can you use that word? That's not cussing, is it? We need to understand that Jesus himself suffered more than any of us. So did his apostles, <laughs> right? Every one of them died for their faith, except John, and they tried to kill him. He just happened to die of an old age, but God had a plan for him because he had to write the book of Revelation. But they tried. And miraculously, he was spared until he was able to write that book. There's no easy way. So what am I saying? I'm saying that you and me, we have to count the costs for our faith. If you're here looking for the easy path, then you're looking at the wrong faith. The pilgrims. I know you, you won't be able to understand this, but they were really dissatisfied with the church in England. 
They wouldn't let them worship the way they wanted to worship. It, it was a man-made religion. It had become so indoctrinated with man that it no longer represented Christ. And they couldn't take it anymore. And they said, you know what? Let's go to Holland. They'll let us worship freely. It's a more free country. So they, they went to Holland, this small group of believers. And when they got there, they discovered that they wouldn't let them get any jobs or hold any jobs that paid more than minimum wage or the equivalent of our minimum wage. In other words, they were all really low-paying jobs. On top of that, their morals at that time in Holland were grossly underrated, if you wanted to even call them morals. They had no morals. And as a result, their children were being uh, pulled away. And they knew they had to do something. So they made up their minds that they were going to go back to England and they were going to charter a ship that would take them where? America. Land of the free. Right? And they were excited about this. So in August 1620, 40 saints, later to be called pilgrims, chartered the Mayflower and the Speedwell. Did you know that? There was another ship. Yeah. The Speedwell, however, along with what they called strangers. Now, what were strangers? Strangers were people who didn't have faith in Christ. They were just common, like you would meet out there. All right? They were worldly people. They had no faith in Jesus, to make it simple. So there were more strangers than there were pilgrims, and they filled these two ships and they began to head for America. The problem was the speedwell began to take on water. Not good. So they had to turn back to England, and then they had to unload what was on the speedwell and put it all on the Mayflower, which was a cargo ship. Now, because of the delay, and I don't know if it was a week, two weeks, a month, whatever it was, because of that delay, it really hurt them because they had to uh, navigate through storm, stormy weather. Like, what would we have today? We would have a hurricane season. That's what it was like out on the Atlantic Ocean as they crossed over. It took them 66 days in this turbulent weather, and most of them were seasick all the way there. Can you imagine? Woohoo! Of course, what does that do? When you you're dehydrated, right? People were sick, and by the time they finally got to America, which they missed the spot they were supposed to land in. Did you know that? They landed way north of where they were supposed to be, which meant what? It was colder. Right? Horrible, horrible time. And they thought they'd overcome the worst of it, but little did they know they were just beginning. When you think about the pilgrims, why did they go? They went so that they could worship freely. 
worship their God, raise their kids in godly homes. Everywhere they went, they wanted to honor the Lord. And they didn't feel they could do that in Europe, so they did it in America. But it cost them something. There are no shortcuts. There are no shortcuts. Say that with me. There are no shortcuts. All right? So all these people, they finally land in the Americas in the wrong spot. And then they realized, okay, now we get to go through this frigid winter. During the winter, out of 19 women, only five survived. That's a bunch that died. But they didn't lose hope. And hear me, if God hadn't provided through a a Native American all of them probably would have perished. And here's the cool part, and I I grabbed this off of uh, history.com, but I I wanted to quote this. An English-speaking Abenaki named Samoset, we've heard that name before, he helped the colonists from an alliance with the local, local, local Wampanoags, who taught them how to hunt local animals, gather shellfish, and grow corn, beans, and squash. Before this, they didn't know how to sustain themselves. But thanks to the help of the local people, they were able to survive and even thrive. Again, anything worth having is going to cost you. And in their case, loss of life, health, But honestly, that first year, and we all think that it's it's November, what is it, November, whatever Thursday is. We all think that it's this late in November, but it was actually, when they did this, it was actually between uh, late September and mid-November. So we've already passed when they would have had their feast. And their feast was intended to honor the Lord, to give thanks Even though they'd lost life and limb, they still wanted him to know, you are our God, nothing's going to change that. Somebody said to me this morning, they said, you have to realize that as you watch the news and you see everything going on around the world, you're never going to see a news clip that says, the Lord is no longer on his throne. And I stopped and I went, that's a really cool way to look at it. She doesn't know I'm sharing it, but I am. The Lord is never going to be identified as having stepped off of his throne. He will always be there. He will remain there for eternity. And that you and I can bank on. And the pilgrims knew that. Even though people died. And, and hear this. As I was praying about this, I said, Lord, how would they have gone through this? Wouldn't they have been uh, beat down? Wouldn't they have been deflated? Wouldn't their faith have even kind of dropped a notch or two? And he said, Norman, he said, I want you to know something. As long as people are doing what I have called them to do, if they die in the process, they're still going to be rewarded 
And I'm going to say to them, well done, my good and faithful servant. So they died, yes, but they died into glory. Now they're alive and they are going to be rewarded for that life of faith that they live. So don't ever think that because one of our brothers and sisters across the globe, maybe in Africa or somewhere else, because they lose their head, literally, for their faith, that that somehow diminishes their walk with the Lord. No, on the contrary. God gets glory for that, through that. And they are going to be rewarded. I believe first, those who were martyred are going to be uh, given the first rewards in heaven. And then it's going to be the little grandmother that nobody sees doing anything, but she's in her home praying almost 24-7. Pastors, they'll probably get up there last because they were given all the accolades and, and all the other stuff. It's going to be the people that served without being seen that are going to get those rich rewards first. It costs the pilgrims their lives to worship freely. Today we have the freedom to worship our God thanks in part to these early settlers who fought the good fight to gain their independence. Amen? There are no shortcuts. Now, I want to share a scripture today that it, it went along with what I spoke last week. And I showed a video last week, uh, and I admitted it. I, I, sometimes I make mistakes. I don't always do everything right. And sometimes I make foolish mistakes. And the hardest part with this one was, and, and you weren't all here last week, so I asked the guys to have this ready. Uh, they're going to show my little clip again if you were here last week. Don't, don't give it up yet. But just to, just to give a, a, a background of it, uh, I was at home. I was trying to burn up this giant pile of brush. And I started out with kerosene, and that didn't work. It was really wet. Um, I poured all the kerosene on it I had. It, it wouldn't light. So I, I went to gas. And uh, it was just a little gas. It was a gallon. And I poured half of it on it, and I lit it. And by the way, do not do this at home. Uh, learn from my mistake. And uh, are you able to play it? All right. Learn from my mistake. But... When the first time I lit it, and it, it lit it, but it was like a teeny little fire. You know what I'm saying? Just a little teeny fire. And, and, and it didn't go very long. And, and this was all captured on my surveillance camera because I wasn't out there filming myself. Um, when it didn't take off like I wanted it to, because I was in a hurry. I had things to do. I had a paper to do uh, that I needed to get done. I needed to get back in and get working on that. So... I decided to pour the rest of the gas that was in the can in there. And I was on the other side of the fire. So I thought, well, you know, that's way over there. I'm going to do it way over here. And I just made this comment that it isn't the gasoline, the liquid that's necessarily flammable. It's the fumes. And you're going to see this as I show you what it's like to be on fire. So go ahead and play that real quick. No pastor was hurt in the making of this video. <laughs> Maybe we're going to see it. Maybe not. 
We'll get in trouble for that. That's a copyrighted tune. All right, we're done. Well, you are. All right, if, if you want to see this, and don't do it now, go back to last week's message about this far in, and, and you'll uh, discover me trying to catch myself on fire. We're having issues with our uh, computer this week, and we, are, we, we have what we need now to fix it, but it takes time, and that's going to happen. Hopefully by next Sunday we'll be in good shape. All right, thanks guys for trying. Sorry about that delay. Where am I? All right, the scripture, Luke chapter 14. If you have your Bibles, your swords, turn there with me, Luke 14. I'm reading from the NLT, which I will put behind me if, you're, if you didn't bring your sword. Um, let's start there. Jesus is, of course, talking to the crowds, and he's trying to tell them, what does it mean to be one of my disciples? You ready for this? A large crowd was following Jesus. He turned around and he said to them, if you want to be my disciple, you must hate everyone else by comparison. Your father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even your own life. Otherwise, you cannot be my disciple. Now, I wanted to pause there just for a minute just to say this. What Jesus was saying, and as I studied this out, here's another way of this possibly being said. This is from the uh, NIGT commentary. They said what this means is that you must love your father, your mother, your wife, your children, your brothers, your sisters, less then you love Jesus. That's what it means. So the word hate is kind of a really strong word. That I mean, it has bad connotations. So I just I want you to understand, Jesus isn't telling you to hate your family. That would be silly. But he's trying to make the comparison that compared to everything else, everyone else in your life that you love, God, Jesus, has to be number one. All right? He's your number one. And if, he said in verse 27, you do not carry your own cross and follow me, you cannot be my disciple. All disciple wannabes need to take notice here. You know, you, you've seen the cop wannabes? They're all over. They drive the old Fords. And the old blazers that are, happen to be the same color. And they speed up behind you and, and get real slow. It's like, ah, a wannabe. So all disciple wannabes, you need to take notice. If you want to follow Jesus, if you want to be his disciple, you have to count the cost. There are no shortcuts. I said this when I started. All disciples have to go through the sanctification process. They have to go through the fire. When you put precious metals in the cooker, whether it's gold or whether it's silver, what comes to the top are the impurities. What's left is the element that you want, the, the, the valuable element. And that's what God does with us. He puts us through situations that it's like putting us to the heat. 
And sometimes it hurts. Everybody say that with me. Sometimes it hurts. It hurts to be a disciple because God wants to get rid of things that shouldn't be in us. So that what's left behind are the pure elements of Christ. That's part of the process. That's what he's doing within us. And nobody is exempt. Nobody. Next part. But don't begin until you count the cost. That's my highlight right there. Count the cost. There are no shortcuts. For who would begin construction of a building without first calculating the cost to see if there is enough money to finish it? When I was a young kid around the Lansing area, there was this really strange building out in the middle of nowhere, and and it was about 40 or 50 acres. You had to know where it was to get to it. Not everybody knew it was there. But it was really strange because it was like three giant igloos or domes connected together in the middle. And it had the most amazing acoustics. So if you were a guitar player, Nick, you could go in there with your acoustic Jack, oh man, it it was awesome. It had the most beautiful resonance in there. But here's the thing. Somebody spent thousands, if not $100,000, building these three giant domes, and it was like a fortress. But they ran out of money, and they never finished it. It didn't have the windows. It didn't have the doors. It was just open to the elements. I don't know if it's still there, But what I'm saying is, everybody kind of laughed at that guy. Like, dude, really? Why would you build that and then not finish it? That's what Jesus is saying here. Otherwise, you might complete only the foundation before running out of money. And then everyone would laugh at you. They would say, there's the person who started that building and couldn't afford to finish it. Who wants to be that guy? So the first parable talks about the cost of constructing a building. You will decide before building it that you have enough money. At least hopefully you will. In part one, I talked about buying a new bass boat or getting my master's education. I had to count the costs. Why? Because if I hadn't, I would have looked silly if I'd gotten halfway through and I'd had to say, oops, it would have been a waste of time, right? And I, by the way, I chose the master's program over the bass boat. Why? Because as I counted the costs, I realized, yes, the bass boat would bring me lots of pleasure. And maybe one or two of you, as you went with me on this sparkling new bass boat. Like Roger. But what other fruit would it bear? And as I weighed it, it was like, you know what, Norm? This, this master's program you're going through, it's going to make you a more effective minister and there's going to be so much more fruit for the kingdom. And I chose rightly. I chose right. To go after God rather than my own selfish pleasures. And listen, the Lord sometimes will ask you to give something up 
that's meaningful to you, that's valuable to you, just to see if you're willing. Are you willing? What if tomorrow the Lord said, I want you to give your car to so-and-so down the road? Anybody ever have that happen? Woo! (laughs) That's a test of faith. Isn't it? For those of you who've done it, you don't have to raise your hand. Jesus may ask you something similar. What will you need to give up to follow Jesus? Amen? You still with me? Some of you are getting ready to leave because it's like, hey, I didn't sign up for this. What are you talking about giving up my car? These days are worth more than the house. Next part. What king would go to war against another king without first sitting down with his counselors to discuss whether his army of 10,000 could defeat the 20,000 soldiers marching against him? And if he can't, he will send a delegation to discuss terms of peace while the enemy is still far away. The first parable emphasized that not counting the cost leads to mockery. The second one's a little more serious, isn't it? The death and annihilation of you. (laughs) That's what Jesus is saying. If you don't count the cost, it could cost you your life if you step into this thing haphazardly. And that's the result of not counting the cost. The last verse. So you cannot become my disciple without giving up a few things. Oh, does that say everything? How many in your own mind, that's what you thought when you signed up? You know, Lord, I'll I'll give up most things for you. But is that what it says? Are you willing to give everything up for your faith in Jesus? To be called a disciple of the Most High God. I like to call this last verse the stinger. (laughs) Anybody ever been stung? I like bees. I really do. I think they're awesome. They pollinate everything. They do a good job. Without them, we would die. We need them to pollinate. But I don't like their stinger. It hurts. And sometimes it sticks in there for a while, doesn't it? The stinger is for everyone who wants to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. Jesus is saying this. This life, if you choose it, it's going to cost you everything everything. Say your final goodbyes to your possessions. Again, this blows the prosperity gospel right out of the water. Because if money means more to you than your faith in Christ, you got things kittywampus. You need to flip them. Now, if God allows you to be wealthy, whatever that looks like, we're all wealthy. 
But if he allows you to be rich, that's his business. God bless you. Be faithful. Continue being faithful. And he'll add to it. But that money can never mean more to you. Your your stocks can never mean more to you. Your retirement fund can never mean more to you. Your bank account can never mean more to you than what your master, Jesus Christ, means to you. Than what your life in him means to you. Is this making sense to anybody but me? And if you don't count the cost, if you don't recognize this, you may get partway in and end up failing. That's a waste of time and energy. So Jesus was simply saying to those who are following, if you really want to follow me, it's going to cost you. If you want to finish well, you need to weigh the cost. Amen? When Barb and I felt the Lord calling us to go deeper with Him, and by the way, we were, we'd gone through pace setting leadership. We, we were uh, serving in leadership positions. Uh, Barb did a, a prayer ministry she led. Um, I was a leader in the ushering department. We loved the Lord. And I worked at General Motors, and I was able to tithe and give generously off of that. We loved get, out, trying to outgive the Lord. It was amazing when Pastor Dave would say, hey, we're going to support this church. They need $30,000, and we were able to write out a big check for it. Our money never meant more to us than our love for the Lord and for what He was doing on this earth. But one day the Lord decided, I want you to do more. I want you to make this your life. You're not all going to be called to become a pastor or a missionary. You may be, but not everybody will. And we had to make a quick decision, and I'm talking seconds, As Pastor Dave said, who in this room feels like the Lord is telling you, you are going to go into full-time ministry, the missions field, or something like that? Stand up. Barb and I were sitting next to each other. I was ushering that night. I had my red coat on. Red back then. We were red coats back then. Not British, but they were really burgundy. Anyhow. And we both stood up, and I looked at her, and she looked at me, and he said, now get down here. And, and there were probably 50, 60, 70 different people that came to the front that night out of, I don't know, 2,000. And we get to the front, and I looked at Barb, and I went, are we doing this? Are we really feeling like this is what God's saying? And they prayed over everybody up there, and and I went back to our, we went back to our seats, and uh, nothing happened. I continued ushering. She continued working in the prayer ministry. And almost six months or so went by before I heard that voice in the middle of the night while I was working on my job. Get ready. I want you to go into 
full-time ministry. I want you to go to Bible college. And I was like, what? And I ignored it. And I heard it again. Now listen, when you work at General Motors as a young man, and they're paying all your bills, you got great health care, great retirement, stock dividends back then, they don't anymore, but, and you're like, oh, Lord, really? I've got kids. I've got children. I got to take care of these people. And the Lord said, you just get ready. I'll take care of you. What happened? Nothing. I went home and told Barb. She got excited. It's about time. She actually got really excited. But anyhow, that's beside the point. Two months went by. Why am I telling you this? What this did for us, and I I believe this is why there was a time lag, was it gave us time to work through what the Lord was asking us to do. For you just to give up your life. Now, uh, Pastor Roger and Mary, 16 years ago, you guys felt the Lord calling you to come to little old Gaylord and become our worship pastors. And I don't want to exclude Sarah or Jeremiah, but in that initial step, though, you guys were so important to this church. But you had to hear from the Lord to give up all that you had over there, your friends, your family over there, to move to Gaylord because God had said, I want you to do something else. Are you willing to give up the life you have here? And thank you for being... Obviously, they said yes (laughs) 16 years later. But with my own story, with our story, Barb's and mine, Obviously, we said yes, and they came around. They offered me a buyout, or what was called a buyout. They said, if, if you would like to, we will pay you to quit. And it, it was enough money for us to buy a, home, a mobile home on campus in Springfield, Missouri, and to pay for our first uh, tuition, the first year's tuition to get into school. And it didn't cover everything, but it covered that far. <laughs> you know, God, he, he likes to do this to us. You know, he wanted us to grow up in the faith. And, and if he'd paid for it all, we wouldn't have had to rely on him, right? But we had to count the costs. And when I signed that paper and I took that buyout, what it said to GM was, I will never be able to work for them again. I can't go back today because I signed a contract that said that. But that money really did help us to get through our uh, first year of Bible college. With that said, the bridge was burned to General Motors. I couldn't go back. And that's what I wanted to say here is, when you weigh the cost of being a disciple of Jesus, what you're saying is, Lord, I'm I'm never going to look back. You mean more to me than anything else on this planet. Jesus said this in Luke 9, 62. Anyone who puts a hand to the plow and then looks back is not fit for the kingdom of God. 
Jesus told us that we had to count the cost. And once you've done it, once you've committed to him, don't look back. Don't look back to that old life. Don't look back to that old sinner. Oh, you know, I remember, oh man, you know, having a two or three beers, boy, that sounds awful good right now. Really? You remember the hangovers you used to have? Do you remember puking your guts out the next day from drinking too much? Oh, yeah, what a, what a wonderful life. But Satan will do that. He'll, he'll try to bring things into your mind that you used to do, and he'll make it seem like you're missing something. You're missing nothing. You're gaining the kingdom of God. You're, you're gaining Jesus Christ, His Spirit living in you. What more can you ask for? Hallelujah. What Barb and I did, that was just part of being a disciple for Jesus. What Roger and Mary did, that was just part of being a disciple of Jesus. Nothing could mean more to us than the Lord. And I just want to say this, there were days that we wanted to give up. I just was like, why am I here? My brain's going to explode. I felt that a lot lately. But then I remember why I did this. I did it for the right reasons, because I love the Lord. He gave His all for me. Am I willing to give my all for Him? As a disciple of Jesus, you may not be called to give up everything. But there are some things that the Lord will challenge you to give up. And if you really want to move to the next level, they can't mean more to you than Jesus. Count the cost. No shortcuts. As one of Jesus' disciples, I believe one of the keys to getting you to the finish line, and I'm going to share this and then we'll close. It's going to be, i got a minute or two. <laughs> Tammy. <laughs> but I just wanted to give you something this morning because you know what? When you face those hard times, and how many know, how many in this room, by raised hand, as a believer, you have had to face some hard things in your life to, to keep your faith? Look at the hands all over the room, they're going up. So we all know this, right? People online, I'm sure you understand what I'm saying. It isn't easy being a disciple of Christ. So what can you do to finish well? What can help you along the way? And, and this is something I've learned, and that is figure out what motivates you. You know, it's like uh, wanting to lose weight. I've been talking about this for a long time. <laughs> Talk gets you where? You've got to put action to your, your faith, right? Um, but I'm going to surprise you one day, and I'll come out here and be skinny. And then you'll all go, hey, he listened to the Lord for once. No. But I'm just using losing weight as an example. Sometimes we have to do certain things in our life that are difficult. And the best way to get there, to accomplish what the Lord's asking you to do, is figure out what your trigger is. Figure out what motivates you. And how many know we're all different? Right? What motivates me like if somebody said, Pastor Norm, if you get your 
last paper done, which is due this coming Friday, if you get that paper done by like Wednesday, I'll take you on a all expense paid fishing trip. Man, I'd be all in and I'd finish that paper. <laughs> Just saying. All right, that's what motivates me. Now, for Barb, if somebody said, Barb, we'll let you go on the Baker's Championship. She loves that show. British Baking, whatever it is. Yeah, that one. She loves that show. She would be all in, you know. That would motivate her. And, And listen, I'm just trying to get you to see that something motivates you. There's a reason you got up today to come to church. You might be going right now, oh, why did I come into church? It's because God wants you to hear this message. You need to hear it. But what is, what is it that motivates you? What motivates you the most? You've probably seen this illustration where you put a carrot in front of a horse or, or, or a mule. You know, it doesn't have to be a horse. But I, I'm using uh, the carrot just as a, it's a symbol. We humans need to dangle a carrot in front of us sometimes to help us to stay on course. And this is metaphorically speaking, unless you really like carrots. That was supposed to be funny. (laughs) What is your carrot? Find your carrot. Use the carrot to your advantage. Use it to help remind you each day why you're doing the hard work of being a disciple. Why are you picking up your cross and following Jesus? What motivates you? Something must. I hope, in the deepest part of my heart, I hope that it's because you love Him. Go with whatever it is. You want to make it to the finish line. You want to get to the end, right? So from the start, whatever you do with your life, be sure to include God in the equation. You young people, as you figure out what you're supposed to do for a living someday, what your career or vocation is going to be, maybe you're supposed to go to school, whatever it looks like, ask the Lord, what am I supposed to do with my life? Let Him guide you. You will avoid so many rough bumps if you just hear from Him from the start. How many older folks would say amen? If only we'd figured this out when we first started serving the Lord. Go to Him. How many have ever gone to find something? And you've looked and looked and looked and looked. And after a day and a half, you go, you know what, I never prayed about this. Does God love you enough to help you find it? How many have prayed and you found it? Like quickly. (laughs) Yeah. You're getting the idea. This is what I'm trying to say to everybody here. Include the Lord in as you develop your life. And I've got this, this last scripture. Well, there's one more. The last scripture I wanted to share pertaining to this part of the message, Jeremiah 29, 11, and you guys know this. And I put this up, and it should be verse 13 there, but For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, they are plans for good and not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. In those days when you pray, I will listen, he said. 
If you look for me wholeheartedly, you will find me. That's his promise to us, to, to his kids. Let him be a part of your life. God's plan and purpose is always the best plan, right? If you discover it, you will have a life of fulfillment. But if you miss it, you will flounder and you'll find it difficult to cross the finish line. A note for you older folks, as I prayed about this, as I put this down on paper, I hope you know this, but Christians never truly retire. I'm not telling you not to retire from your job. That's not what I'm saying. If you've counted the costs as his disciple, then you know that you're not finished until you're heaven-bound. Right? So what you do may change when you get older. I mean, I can't, there were things I did when I was younger I can't do anymore. What you do may change, but you never stop doing. There's always something that we can do to bear fruit. If you're alive, there are things that you can do with your life to continue building the kingdom of God. Just ask the Father, Lord, Heavenly Father, what do you have for me? What can I do? What, what would bless you if I did it? It might be mentoring someone. It might be praying for your church family. I talked about that when I started. That You know, it, it's the little grandmother who's in her prayer closet interceding for you and me and her grandkids and grandchildren and the president and everybody else. That's the one that's going to be rewarded because she's unseen, but God's going to bless her. Someday, she'll get her reward. Support the church with your time and your resources. There's so many things that need to be done around here. If you don't get the answer you're looking for with the Lord, and I don't mean what you want to hear, but I'm saying if you don't hear anything, and you're like, what can I do? Ask a pastor. Pastor Roger, would you have anything for somebody to do? I know I would. Pastor Barb would too. Just ask us. We'll help you figure it out. In conclusion, Tammy. <laughs> would you stand with me and let some blood flow to your feet? Many people miss God, miss His best because they don't know what He's asking of them or they haven't counted the cost. We need to ask the Lord, what now? What next? As a disciple for you, Lord, what are you asking of me? By knowing what God wants you to do, by figuring out what motivates you, it will help you to not quit <laughs> and finish well. The Apostle Paul said this to young Timothy, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race and I have remained faithful. I want you to be able to say that very same thing one day. Don't quit. Finish well. There are no shortcuts.
Now, everybody in this room and those watching online, you have to make your own decision whether or not Jesus means all that to you. Maybe you're only half in. You're up here going, the water's kind of cold. And the Lord's saying, "Uh uh-uh, that's not good enough. I want you all in. You want my best? You jump into the deep end. Don't worry about the water being cold. It's all right, I got you. But how many have actually done that? with heads bowed, eyes closed, if you would, just for a moment. You at home. Believe the Holy Spirit, and this is for your confession. This isn't, so I'll see you. But I believe the Holy Spirit would say to you, have you counted the cost? And if I were to ask you right now, are you willing to give your all for me? Would you do so? Would you raise your hand if you'd say yes? Thank you. Thank you. Many hands go up. I know there were a few that didn't go up. That's all right. I appreciate your honesty. Hey, I just want to say this to you. I've been a believer now since 1981. That's a long time. It's a long time. 40 years. I made the choice to follow him. He's never let me down. My life is so much richer today. And listen, I may not have had some of the things I could have had if I hadn't followed Jesus, but stuff is going to burn up. When I get to heaven, there's nothing following me. The only thing going to heaven is me, not my stuff. So all that is going to be left behind. It's going to be burned up one day. So you better make sure that what you are doing, how you live your life, is truly what the Lord's asking of you. And I just want to pray this prayer with you, if, if you would, if you would allow me to. If you didn't raise your hand, would you pray this with a little bit of courage? Yes. A little bit of trust in the Lord? Yes. Pray this with me. Lord, say this out loud, everybody here. Lord, Help me to understand you. My relationship with you. If there are things holding me back from committing 100% to you, help me with that today. Lord, I want to please you. I want to get past this. So I look to you today Speak to me. Shower me, Lord, with your blessing, your anointing to overcome this life. Give me the strength I need to finish well. And today, I just give you my life. And hopefully the rest will follow. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, I've never prayed a prayer like that before. But I really believe if you will trust God to help you take that next step and the next step and the next step, 
you're going to get to that place where you're able to say, Lord, nothing's going to hold me back. I give it all, I give it all to you. This life is it's worth nothing compared to you. Amen? No shortcuts. Will you say that with me? Do you believe it? Are you going to live that way? Are you going to whine when the Lord asks you to do something tough? You can whine a little bit, but just don't let it be a lifestyle. Right? God's got this. He's still on the throne. And we're, we're getting close to that day where he's going to say, let's take him. Father's going to say to Jesus, go get him, son. Woohoo! That should excite you. And I want everybody ready. Not just ready, but I want our church to be out there getting them. Getting them for Jesus. Reaching the lost. Breaking out of our shell. Talk to your neighbors. The community. Pray for people. Don't, don't take what God's given you for granted, but use it to his glory. Amen. Father, again, thank you. We give you thanks, Lord, this week. This is Thanksgiving or the week we celebrate it. And Lord, we just say thank you for the blood of Jesus that has washed us clean, that has purified us, Lord, of our unrighteousness. Lord, thank you for all the blessings of heaven that we have a hope and a future that is bright, Lord. And that all of your promises are yes and amen in Christ. We have so much to be thankful for. Help us never to take this new life you've given us for granted. But rather, Lord, may we spend it for you and to your glory. We love you. Keep us safe as we travel, as we celebrate our families this Thanksgiving. Lord, just uh, be with us everywhere we go. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Happy Thanksgiving.